You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Alongside me for episode 20 is... Well, he's a blood relative, and I'm pumped to have him on. A uh, little backstory before I bring him in here. So, full disclosure, for those of you who know me, and know me well enough to know my middle name, well, full name here, Michael Stant Hotard. It sort of stems back to the guy I have on here. So, my mother's maiden name is Stant, and... Well, he is my cousin. His name is also Michael. And the backstory behind that is, um, you know, when my parents were naming me, they wanted to name me something with the letter A, Anthony, Andrew. One of those, I think, were the two in, in contention. Well, then they randomly stumbled across Michael and then deciding the middle name, I believe they went to my cousin, Mike, and said, hey, look. He's kind of going to take your name in some way here. Is that cool? Which you said, of course, whatever. And uh, so not only is he, is he my cousin, well, to some degree I'm named after him. But without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, the beast, Mike Stant is on the podcast. Welcome to the show, brother. I'm happy to be here, but that's maybe the greatest introduction I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, I do what I can, but no, Mike and, um, you know, uh, we used to spend a lot of Thanksgivings together. We used to go over to his parents' house, spend, uh, Thanksgiving there with him and then your three brothers. Um, but Mike, the reason that I brought him on is he's got, uh, a very strong bloodline in sports. You know, all three brothers played collegiate football. One, his brother, Pat actually made it to the NFL and, I believe was a practice squad or maybe even made the roster during the Dome Patrol days as a linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. So there's a lot of pedigree there in that family. And unfortunately for me, you know, I didn't get any of the stant genes to become (laughs) 6'3 and, you know, weigh 250 pounds. I I essentially got the runt gene, but nonetheless, um, you know, I've been knowing all these people since, you know, I was a kid. That I have home videos of them sitting at my house for my baptism, all that great stuff. So, But Mike has a very strong bloodline connected to sports. And one of the best parts about, I think, your pedigree, if you will, is the fact you've seen sports from all sides of the equation. Not just coaching, not just administrative, not just in between the lines, but also officiating. Um, as you do some officiating for baseball, you're an umpire. So... I brought him on to kind of talk about all those things. So let's start it off uh, from the beginning here. I mean, let's let's go back to, to to really childhood, high school, whatever that may be. You know, what what was it like growing up with a such a strong family that had a strong tie to sports? Well, I tell you, uh, one, one of the things that I really look fondly back on was uh, growing up in New Orleans East. Uh, back in the seventies, New Orleans East. Uh, not only the East, but also the entire city was like a hotbed of talent. Uh, you had college coaches, and uh, the, especially the Catholic League, uh, had some of the best athletes in the whole country. Uh, the playground system for Nord uh, was strong. 
And I remember counting um, in the 50 or 60 uh, athlete range that, you know, had played major D1 sports just coming out of New Orleans East. So the whole, um, I think, culture around New Orleans at that time has really kind of come back. Uh, you know, the, the, the culture in the 80s, uh, it kind of went down a little in the 90s, I believe. And then after Katrina, you've had kind of this renaissance of sports in the city. And uh, you see some program, you know, like Carr and, uh, you know, of course, John Curtis and those that are some of the best programs in the country. So when you talk about um, major athletes, and you don't have to go very far around here. And, and I tell you, you know, just in your own backyard, you know, Coaching at St. Paul's, Destrehan High School may have had one of the best well-coached, well-athleted teams that, that I've ever coached against. So um, I think the whole culture that you're alluding to uh, really started with me in the 70s back, uh, you know, Elijah Les Playground, Lakeview Playground, Joe Brown Playground, where you had D1 players actually uh, playing at that time in those playgrounds in New Orleans. You know, and then, and, then, and then there's some names that of guys that we played against and played with. You know, guys like Leroy Horde, who may have been one of the best. You know, I, I, I was reading on uh, on Facebook they had, uh, you know, like a vote to see who was the best running back ever mm-hmm. in the state of Louisiana. And I'm not really sure who won that. But but I promise you, Leroy Ford is definitely in the top five, and we you know, we played travel uh, playground with him on the on the Raiders, the Lakeshore Raiders. That guy Larry Bettencourt coached. So um, just being a part of that winning culture and uh, stuff like that has really kind of followed me through my career in sports and in coaching, and it's one of the things that we talk a lot about. At St. Paul's, the development of the culture, exactly what is our culture, why are we here, what do we believe in, and what are we going to do to improve the culture on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, you talk about Louisiana sports, and before we get into some of the stuff with St. Paul's with what you're doing now, you know, um, I fortunately was able to see some of those Destrehan teams that you alluded to uh, because... The junior and senior year that I was there, I mean, it was a 29-game win streak, back-to-back state titles, and you want to talk about, you know, full-blown pedigree of D1 athletes. I mean, from the Jordan Jeffersons, who many people will probably recognize immediately as a former LSU quarterback, but you also had guys like Damaris Johnson, who um, went to Tulsa and broke a bunch of yardage records there as as an all-purpose receiver, running back, whatever you literally needed him to be. Um, well, I tell you, I tell you this, this year, you know, we played against Jesuit week two, and Jesuit had a really good defensive tackle, a kid named Sonny Hazard, John Hazard's son. Uh, I think he's a UL signee, and uh, he was a formidable foe. But I can't remember the, the, the guy's name who played defensive tackle at Destrehan this year, who committed to Tulane, he was almost unblockable. I, I remember thinking, Tulane is getting a great football player 
in this kid. He, he's one of the, I, I guarantee he's one of the best defensive tackles in the state. Uh, I was very impressed by him. And, of course, you had the running back for Des Chan this year. I think the one who's going to Alabama, he was unbelievable. And they had a wide receiver. Uh, you know, So all that tied into, I think they won the state championship again this year. Um, but those are some of the best players we played against all year. Yeah, and it just seems like they just keep coming through the fold. And, you know, one of the th- – I guess we'll – I'll touch on this. One of the things I always allude to with Tim Rebo, who is the head coach of Nichols currently, and obviously a school you're familiar with because you played um, football for Nichols. But one of the things I talk about with Rebo is the thing he did best was he didn't veer from his own backyard. He literally takes the guys who are just somewhat of cast-offs and brings them to Nichols because he knows that Places like the River Parish, like New well, Orleans, they have the talent. It's I just, tell you, he, I tell you, and Rebo has done, obviously, was establishing great culture. Maybe the, one of the best cultures in, I think it's called FCS football now. Um, they they have gone. I mean, obviously, that you know, it's tough. It's been tough for them to go into North Dakota or South Dakota and win. Not only are they tough, it's, you know, it's like a whole other country away and it's cold and, you know, hopefully we'll get those guys down here at one, some point where we can handle them. But um, Coach Repo, who I'm a big fan of, by the way, oh, and yeah. uh, Coach um, Coach Lee Roussel, uh, who I think is one of the best offensive line coaches in the Southland Conference, uh, they have established tremendous culture, very similar to the culture that we had when I was at Nichols in the 80s, you know, where Rebo has gone and gone to great lengths to get the best players in his own backyard. Uh, and he's gotten um, pedigree guys. He's gotten uh, guys who uh, I played with their son. But, you know, when you think about this, you know, all these people this year were high on, um, you know, obviously the, the guy at LSU was, was probably the best quarterback in the country. But, you know, I thought Chase Forcade in his little world had just as good a year as anybody. And, you know, I was actually at the Southeastern game where he actually brought him back. Where I, I thought they were dead, you know, and uh, and I, I really look forward to uh, Lindsey Scott being the quarterback this year and the you know, of course, they, they have the busty kid, I think, playing running back. And Veron is back for uh, for his senior year, who I, I'm telling you, we coached against him since he was like sixth grade at Riverside when we were actually, when my son actually played at Holy Ghost. And, you know, he's a, he's as good a defensive player as I've ever seen in the Southland Conference. And then you, you had Sully last, last year, I think was the defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. So uh, Coach Rebo and his staff, have gone out and really established the nickel state culture to where it's as it's as good as I've ever seen it. Oh, without uh, a doubt. I mean, you know, Nichols was kind of the place where you went if you were just kind of the cast off and everyone laughed at you. Now there's guys that are choosing Nichols over maybe a Tulane or a UL right. because of the culture that's been established there. And obviously, you know as good of, as anybody or anybody else that went to Nichols. That's huge, man. That's huge. Oh, yeah. And I tell you, he got, uh, he's, you know, uh, he got um, he got my good friend Brian Wilcox's son, Logan, who was the tight end at Central, and a, 
another good friend of mine, John Lambert's son, who's the fullback out of Franklinton. So he's getting a bunch of you know high character uh, guys to come in, which you know they're they're using you know to to beat. I mean, they've been as tough as anybody in the Southland Conference. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, I tell you, like, I, um, the, I think the competition in the Southland Conference is getting better. You know, I think the guy at uh, at Southeastern is doing a great job. You know, especially now that Chris Lashney is the defensive coordinator there. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that this year. Especially with Lindsey Scott playing quarterback. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, you mentioned 4K earlier. I, I think it's no secret he's probably the best quarterback in Nichols history. I think you can put his name on that very easily. And right. to have a guy like Lindsey Scott, who's a major D1 prospect, just well, kind of fall into their lap. If you think Lindsey Scott's a good football player, you should have seen his dad at Southern around '88. Okay, ridiculous tailback. I, I think I'm not. He, he signed with someplace else. I, I can't remember, but it was a. I think he's. I think Lindsey's dad. Lindsey's dad, who's a lawyer now. I think his dad is named Lindsey also. But his dad signed with the SEC, and then it didn't work out. He went to Southern. We had we had a lot of trouble with him, even though I think. I think we beat Southern three of the four years that I was there, and boy, I'd really like to see that rivalry come back. I, I don't know what's the I don't know what's the, the the obstacle to getting past those challenges, but man, I tell you, when I was there, that was the game, uh, Nickel Southern. Okay, what? Uh, so I guess looking back on it, how has some of it changed aside from Southern and stuff like that? Who's some of the other big rivals Nichols had in the eighties when you were there? Well. um, you know, when I was a senior, we actually played against Georgia Southern. They were number one in the country, and uh, we played Northeast every year. That was a that was a really big rival for us. Northwestern's always been a big rival. Southeastern didn't have football when I was mm-hmm. there, so uh, and then the Texas schools, Southwest Texas was a big game for us. Stephen F. Austin, uh, those type of people. But I, I'd say probably without question, Southern was the biggest rival. In fact, in my junior year. We beat them in Thibodeau, twenty-four to nothing, and then my sophomore year, I think one of the biggest games in Nichols history. We played them in Baton Rouge, and uh, I think we beat them like seventeen to thirteen, and uh, they were ten in the country, and we were twelve in the country. Wow, uh, really packed house, yeah. So probably uh, my one of my fondest memories is when we beat them in Baton Rouge my sophomore year. Yeah, and it's been, and the, I mean, the Southland Conference. It's in, in at least now. I mean, I know it's a complete crapshoot. There's so many good programs over the last couple of years. Um, when I was working for Nichols at the time, they obviously this was before uh, Tim Rebo took over, and they weren't very good. But you know, you mentioned some of those Texas schools. Uh, like Stephen F. Austin, who's still a big rivalry, dude. Watching Nichols play against them was the most frustrating thing you could possibly imagine as a videographer for a team because of the no huddle, because of that hurry up style that they play now. And dude, they used to just wipe the floor with us. It would be sixty something to to seven or fourteen and they're still running that damn no huddle. So I'm sitting there just filming the whole way through, knowing this is just gonna be more film to cut up, but um it's nice to see that they've flipped the switch and the light's been switched on and they're not just competing. I mean, they're winning. The fact that they have more 
you know, uh, playoff wins in the last three years than they have in the entire school's history it speaks huge, huge volumes. Yeah, and I, I, I think they have one of the best teams they have coming back, especially if Veron, especially if Evan Veron is back to full strength. They're, they'll be as good as anybody. Absolutely. So um, we're talking about culture a lot here, and one of the things you had kind of mentioned before is uh, you're now at St. Paul. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's what's happening over there? What's some of the things you're doing there? And, you know, um, what's you, what capacity and what roles are you taking on? Okay, so I'm the offensive line coach. Uh, and, you know, St. Paul's is pretty much like a college program. We have uh, We have eighth grade. We have ninth grade. We have – uh, JV, and then we have the varsity. So I have uh, almost 30 offensive linemen in the program, and then I'm the assistant powerlifting coach, which we have one of the most dominant powerlifting teams. Uh, our our head powerlifting coach, a guy named Jesse Kellum, who was a 10-time world champion, uh, and his son's on the team. His, his son, Josh Kellum, will probably go down. He's a sophomore now, but he'll probably go down as one of the most dominant power lifters ever in the history of the state. Very disappointing for us this year. Uh, on the Friday, you know, we were a week away from going to the state meet, which would have been between probably us and West Monroe. Uh, and I, I thought we had a really good chance to win. Uh, you know, obviously, um, they canceled it. But, uh, you know, we're looking forward to that next year. This year, um, I tell you, we had a, it was, we kind of had an up and down year, but as far as the offensive line, we we played really well. Uh, we played against some really serious competition. Uh, we, you know, I talked about the Hazard kid from Jesuit, uh, the kid from Deshaun. Covington had a linebacker who's committed to a Texas A and M kid named Edgerin Cooper. So, um, you know, this year we moved. We uh, they had been spread before I got there. We went back to more of uh, more of a pound and ground team. Uh, which I, I really thought we needed to because you know, we just didn't have any real breakaway players. You know, we just had to play more to our style of kids. And uh, you know, we beat you know, we beat Jesuit for the first time. You know, we lost to him twice in 20, uh, 2018. So we beat Jesuit this year in Covington, and then we beat Holy Cross in the first round of the playoffs. We ended up losing to Catholic in the second round. Uh, and, uh, you know, Catholic had a, as good a team as anybody. You know, speaking of that, Catholic signed up to play IMG this year. So that, that just kind of tells you what kind of players that they have. So I, I think we're really close, Mike, to being on that level. Uh, the, the Curtis level, the, uh, the Catholic level, where we'll be competing every year. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, I think I have four, four, this year we'll start four seniors and uh, junior I have a sophomore, uh, another junior, and two sophomores who will probably be in the mix. But uh, I think this will be one of the best offensive lines I've had in a while. Awesome. Now, I wanted to ask you this, because one of the things that I think you and I see eye-to-eye on a lot, based on the some of the posts you'll make, um, really from the mental standpoint of sports, uh, I think that's where you're probably really great in this capacity um, just because it seems like you have a good, you know, ear on the ground for both sides of the equation here, because obviously you grew up in a time where a lot of coaches, it was either win or nothing. And, you know, now it's 
the the realm of sports has kind of changed. You know, yeah, obviously winning is ultra important. Everybody wants to win. Some days you just find yourself on the wrong side of that equation. And right. now I feel like you have to find that balance of knowing when to really like get into a get into an athlete versus just kind of scale back and be like, dude, you did well, all you, you know, could. I, I think I think I think what you're talking about is part of the culture. You know, I, I think part of the culture is knowing what we have to do to win. How you know, what do you have to do to prepare to win? Uh, what's the approach uh, to being the best player that you can be? Uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, all that. Uh, and I, I think, um, I tell you, I, I, a guy who I think does that better than anybody is Sean Payton with the Saints. You know, I, I think his mental approach to how he deals with his players and how he calls plays and how he deals with the NFL and deals with the media, you know, I, I, really, um, I really look to him, look up to him on that. I think you know he obviously has uh, he has really good players, but you know he and Drew Brees, you know even though Brees probably will go down as top five quarterbacks in the NFL, definitely top ten. You know they are on such another level um, mentally, you know because Brees isn't like a tremendous physical specimen, but man he he makes all the throws, he makes all the right reads, he's such a competitor. You know, I, I think what you're alluding to is something that we talk a lot about in the culture, you know, being mentally ready, knowing, you know, step landmark technique, uh, knowing the opponent, knowing what we're going to have to do to win. I, I think preparation, you know, if you prepare, if you do the very best you can to prepare and it just doesn't work out on the scoreboard, it just doesn't work out on the scoreboard. But um, it's when you don't prepare and you don't win. I, I think that's where, you know, you, you have problems or, you know, uh, it just it doesn't work out. But if you do what you're supposed to do, then, you know, the scoreboard will work out for itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about the preparation and everything like that, you know, one of the things you alluded to was Breeze not being a physical specimen. One of the things that a buddy of mine who coached at another high school for a while, and that was St. Charles Catholic, one of the things he and I constantly talk about is um, at Catholic, you know, he didn't have he didn't have the the standout athletes that a Destrehan or someone like that had. A lot of the public schools have. Um, so, and you kind of alluded to that earlier, and with talking about St. Paul and saying that, you know, you gotta be smart. In the film room, you got to be smart on the field. So that mental preparation, it seems to be more prevalent in a lot of schools like a St. Charles Catholic and like a St. Paul's because when you face these bigger dogs like like Jesuit or John Curtis, they have the athletes. Frank Monica's teams at St. Charles are going to be as well prepared as anybody in the state. They're just they are just like playing Curtis. Frank Monica's gonna know knows what you're gonna do before you know what you're gonna do. Uh, so Frank's mental approach, you know, and his his mental toughness and how he coaches his players, uh, is is you know is a guy that I've studied. I actually worked for him when I was a GA at Tulane. Uh, he and I, yeah, I've been friends with him for a long time, and uh, he does as good a job at St. Charles Catholic, in getting those guys to play hard. 
uh, getting those guys to play smart and to beat people that they probably shouldn't beat. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like when you're at these these private schools or these smaller private schools, I mean, that's kind of the approach you have to take, you know. Um, and I guess we can kind of dive into this. And in a sense, one of the things that I've always kind of seen with sports is, you know, we have these things like the NFL Combine and like Pro Days and uh, different things like that where guys run 40 times and yeah they get a 4-2 and it pops off the chart but there's so many guys who don't have those quote-unquote measurables but once you break them down by film once you see what they do in between the lines those things kind of go out the window um so when you have guys like that when you have a team full of full of athletes who know where to be before the play even starts i mean that's that's a huge advantage always yeah, you know, guys, guys that are just so well coached, uh, they know the game. They've been playing the same position forever. They're well schooled in it. You know, we, we talk about you know, um, hard work beats talent. When talent doesn't work. Now, you know, there are some there's some plays where where like you know the tailback for Destrehan, you can do everything right and you're not tackling. You know, but you got to do everything right to give yourself a chance to win. That's well said. Um... You know, uh, so with St. Paul, let's let's dive a little bit deeper, more about that athletic program, because one of the cool cool parallels, if you will, uh, that you had found out recently is two other people I know, one of which you um who's going to be on the next episode of the podcast. Spoiler alert here, but uh, my buddy Matt Panero, who is the yeah. wrestling coach there, and well, then and, also and he, he does a phenomenal job. That you know they 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 really had a. They, they were right there in the beating Brother Martin for the state championship. In fact, you know, I was listening to it on, uh, you know, I was following it on Facebook or whatever, and you know, we have two of our really, probably, uh, probably the two best wrestlers on the team, other than a, a wrestler named Peyton Ward who won the state championship. And, you know, if either one of those boys wins, uh, Cole or Evan Alvers, then we win the state championship. Now, I mean, and these are two guys that, you know, dad wrestled at Brother Martin, wrestling background wrestling pedigree you know one win and it's the first state champion in the history you know maybe you know we just weren't ready as a team to make that step but coach Panero certainly was I think and uh you know I think you're really gonna look for really big things out of the St. Paul's wrestling team in years to come dude hell yeah and I love hearing that because like I was telling you um you know a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about it is you know, he he was a great friend of mine in high school, and he wound up having to stop wrestling due to some health concerns. But he uh, he was always around it. I mean, even in high school, he was he was tied to a bunch of the higher ups in wrestling, constantly doing stuff for them, working with the Scorpion program and all those things. Um, yeah. So, it, it, dude, for me as someone who's known him for a long time, it's really cool to see that program sort of just rise up and. You know, like you said, be able to take on a school like Brother Martin and ultimately fall short. But when you talk about wrestling, I mean, Rummel, Brother Martin, Jesuit, these, all these schools have these just dominant pedigrees. Right. So it's cool to see well, him bring I that mean, to St. Paul. Our, our, uh, at St. Paul's, our, uh, our athletic program is so diverse. So football, we, we lose in the second round to Catholic. You know, uh, last year they had won the state championship in baseball. 
We probably have the number one freshman pitcher in the country. We probably have the number one freshman catcher in the country. Uh, you know, um, the first baseman signed with Southern Miss, the shortstop signed with LSU. I really thought in baseball we had another legit chance to win it all. Uh, soccer, I think they've won it, I don't know how many times in a row. Lacrosse, they've won it. Um, basketball, uh, I think they, they we lost to Catholic in basketball also. Uh, and then wrestling was right there with Brother Martin. So our athletic program in all those sports, you know, and we play we play rugby, uh, track and field. So our athletic program is is uh, is as diverse as I've ever seen. And another guy that uh, we'll bring up here is uh, another distant relative. I say relative, but more family friends where they are relative. One of those situations, but Jeff Drevon, who you also work with. Yeah. Yeah, um, Jeff is actually Jeff is actually my assistant offensive line coach, and uh, he he does a very, he does a great job with the young kids. Uh, assist me every, in everyday uh, uh, drill work uh, and stuff like that, and uh, he he breaks down a lot of the film for me. Helps me out with a lot of the computer stuff. I really love Jeff. <laughs> We're lucky to have him. We're lucky to have Jeff Freepon. I'm telling you, that's awesome, man. Now, um. You know, prior to St. Paul's, uh, you know, I know you, um, you've been in the school systems for a while. Uh, I believe you were, weren't you principal at a meet? I was principal at a meet. I was principal at Independence also, yes. So let's, let's dive into some of that, you know, before getting to St. Paul's, what, what kind of led you into, uh, these administrative roles with some of these schools? You know, it's just one of those deals where I kind of fell into it, you know, after we won the state championship in football, uh, uh, I think that was in 2004. Uh, the assistant principal retired. You know, I'd finished my master's plus 30. Uh, one of those deals where, you know, I'd just been coaching for a while and was looking for something else to do. You know, but I really enjoyed those years uh, there. But, you know, uh, after being, I was principal for, I think, 10 years, I was ready to get back into coaching. I, I really wanted to coach Gabe uh, at St. Thomas. And so uh, I wound up leaving the public school system and that's basically where I got back into the, the coaching realm. You know, I'm I'm way I'm a way more of a coach than I am a principal. Mike. <laughs> Jeez, I would have never guessed. <laughs> yeah. so. But no, let's let's dive into that because I'm sure that's an awesome awesome dynamic and moment to share. Gabe, your son, who um, was a big power lifter over there. You know, you have millions of pictures of that on Facebook. So talk about coaching him. Yeah, you know, Gabe had a really good career at St. Thomas. He really showed up, and he actually scored a point at the state meet as a freshman. Um, I think the highest he got really close in his junior and senior year. I think he finished third in the state. Uh, junior and senior year to a kid from Sterlington and another kid from, I think, Catholic Neuberry. But Gabe had a great powerlifting career, and now he's the uh, – Gabe's the oyster king of Amy, Louisiana. You know, he's, he uh, works for the, in the oyster business up there. That's awesome, man. And um, with, uh, you know, what, I guess whenever I talked about this in the beginning of the episode here, um, just you having all these different, different outlooks on sports, so to speak. So yeah. one of the other things that you have done in the sports capacity as umpire for baseball. So how do you... Know, I've, I've only been doing that for five years. I've kind of moved up in the ranks quickly. Uh, I've actually... I did some junior college... I've done some junior college games in the past two years. That's been very exciting. 
uh, you know, I, I really have a love of baseball, have a love of the game, um, the technical aspects of the umpiring, and you know, being back on the field uh, in that aspect, uh, I've really enjoyed that. And, and you know, not to kind of move in a different direction, but you know, because of the shutdown, I think um, uh, I think the last game I did was like. Uh, I did a high school game on that Friday that we shut down. I think it was Pine and uh, Walker, Walker High School. Yeah, but I tell you, Mike, uh, this you know the the, the shutdown is, is you know really hurt. Uh, it really hurt a lot of people in the aspect of they they just miss sports. Absolutely. You know, uh, um, you know the you know my my daughter was actually you know my daughter was on the tennis team at Ponchatoula this year. Her and a little friend Mackenzie, I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought they could make the state tournament. I don't know if they could have won it, but uh, you know, you, you, you had all these guys who weren't able to finish their senior year, and then I think, I really believe people thought, I'm not sure the exact date when it shut down. It was like well, we'll be shut down for a little while, and it'll be back, and then we'll finish the year, and then, well, we won't do this, but we'll you know play like summer ball, and then then it's nothing so i tell you one of the aspects that you know i really miss is you know being out there on the field being out there with the kids and i know that uh there are a lot of people suffering because of this and i think people just don't realize that you know you have kids you know just you know and you have adults who are creatures of habit so you know i was used to going to school going to practice and then going to umpire and all that's pretty much shut down now so um I look forward to really doing that, you know, getting back into that. And, uh, you know, I, I I thought that we'd probably be back, you know, May, whatever, you know, and then, uh, you know, back in school in May, you know, to finish out the year. And now, you know, all that is uh, up for debate, whether or not the kids are actually going to get, you know, I, I've heard that there are some kids like, you know, practicing on their own and stuff like that, getting ready for tournaments in the summer. But uh, you know, I've actually traveled around. You know, I, I went to Cooperstown, which which was awesome. Um, you know, the Cooperstown experience is unbelievable. And then I've actually worked in Disney World. Uh, the Disney World experience was also outstanding. So travel baseball and just baseball in this country is so big, and you get to see such a wide variety of people and cultures and uh, talents and stuff like that. Uh, umpiring has really been rewarding to me already. Um, you know, I'm hoping that somehow, some way we can get all this under control and, and get back to it. Uh, you know, but, you know, I mean, the major leagues aren't even playing, so I don't think anything's going to happen as far as sports go until you have the pro guys actually go back out there. Yeah, for sure. What's, uh, what's some of the, I guess, best experiences or cooler, coolest experiences you've had umpiring, like, you know, you know, I, um, you know, I did last year. Uh, I did the junior college game between Nunez out of Chalmette and BRCC, and uh, you would just think that oh, those you know those are just small junior college. Mike, I'm telling you, those kids can play. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's way. It, you know, uh, you know how you have kids say, "Well, I'll just go play junior college baseball." Yeah, for no, sure. No, no, you have to be able to play. And uh, I, you know, umpired that game. And those teams really got after. And you know, um, both of those teams I umpired this year uh, 
really thought that they were going to take Delgado down. They were talking about like Delgado finishing third in the league. So you got those programs that are really on the rise. A guy named Thomas Simino is the head coach at BRCC. And um, I really should know the coach from Nunez's name, but it, uh, I can't remember right now. But he's actually like a guy who played at Chalmette along uh, with my buddy Johnny Brechtel. He does a fantastic job at Nunez Community College with those kids. Uh, so just getting to do those. And, you know, um, I've gotten to do some junior college games in Mississippi. Uh, and I've gotten to do some teams like St. Louis University, that, uh, uh, which is a junior college. Also. They'll come down and play the Southern Junior Colleges and when it's snowing up there and stuff like that. So just get to see high-level college baseball players has been very rewarding. Well, you know, before I before I dive into my next question um, regarding the umpiring, you know, I played in a, I mean, I, I feel like you may have known this, but I played baseball growing up, obviously. I didn't yeah, I play remember. much. I remember. Didn't play much in the high school level, but um, yeah. I stuck with recreation ball until I was 19. Well, five years ago, I played in a men's summer league. Now, this wasn't you yeah. know, softball. It was fast pitch. It was baseball. And right. A lot of these guys in the league played at Delgado, played at some of these community colleges or JUCOs. And, uh, dude, when I tell you there were games where I felt completely out of place because of how good some of these dudes were, well, like there I, was I, I, no I, I, doubt. I'm a part of over 40 league. Uh, they play at uh, – they play on the West Bank. They play at uh, St. Charles Catholic. Um, but I'm telling you, some of these guys – well, I think it's over 35. Uh, and Mike, when I tell you these cats can play, you know, it, you know, it, I mean, you know, they're older and they're a little slower, and you know, blah blah blah. But uh, they get after it. Uh, the fact, two of the best pitchers, uh, a guy named Jeep Hampton, from Hammond, throws really hard, and then uh, a guy named Spencer Ott, who played at Tulane, actually uh, is the commissioner of the league and pitches for the team called the Rangers. But uh, it's very, very competitive baseball at over 35. Well, and then they have another league. I know a friend of mine, Darren Ulmer, umpires over there. I think they play in Slidell. Also very competitive. So, um, you know, baseball is a game that you can keep playing forever, you know, if you, if you want. Well, you know, you mentioned the over 35 league. In fact, um, one of... I think he was the dad of one of the girls that my play, uh, my sisters played soccer with, Frank Wills. He had uh, my yeah. dad had actually got him to come, you know, show me some pitching techniques and give me some pointers, stuff like that. Um, but we watched a game where Frank pitched, and you know, Frank played played in the majors for a while. He was a relief pitcher yeah, for the Frank Blue Jays. Was amazing. Yeah, Frank was amazing player. Like he was, he was honestly the first taste of professional grade baseball I'd ever seen. I remember I was we were sitting behind the plate watching one of his games uh because I believe they were playing they might have been playing at Destran High School. And right. I'm sitting behind the plate, Frank throws a curveball and you know, this was the first time I'd ever seen a 12 to 6 type break on a ball and I was just thinking right. to myself, "Holy shit." So right. Well, I think I think last year, uh, okay. So I, I can't remember the guys name. I did a bunch of games for Pearl River Community College. Okay, yeah. Pearl River, Pearl River is probably in the top ten community colleges in the country, right? Yeah. So the second baseman, who's from Hattiesburg, I think he, I think he was drafted by the Astros. Don't quote me on that, but he was drafted. 
Uh, but he was there. And so this is really funny. So um, they have a guy on first, and he's the second baseman. He walks up, right? He's probably the best hitter in the league. Probably the best hitter in the league. And so the catcher says, Tom Blue, I need to call the bunt defense, right? Tom, so he does his little thing. So he starts doing his little signal. And this kid tells him, hey, man, you don't need that. He said, I'm leading the league, I'm leading the league in home runs. I'm not bunting. So the next pitch is a fastball that this cat drives off the reservation. And <laughs> he looks at him and says, told you I wasn't bunting. Oh, no. my God. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Well, that's I, I think that would be one of the best parts about being behind the plate is getting to hear some of the trash talk that goes on. Cause, you know, believe it or not, there's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of trash talk, uh, especially in the you – know, I don't know what happens, you know, at, say, like an LSU and stuff like that. But in junior college, a lot of those – okay, you, you, you kind of have the, – the, the guys are divided. Either, okay, let's just start off with, you're a guy who played in high school, right? And you have some ability, and you love the game. So this is it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to get your two years of JUCO in. You may have a shot at playing someplace, like, right above that. Maybe, like, at a Bellhaven or something like that. But this is it. You know, so you're going 100 miles an hour sideways because you, you just love the game. Or you have guys with tremendous ability who just have not been coached. But these guys know that if they do the right thing, they're going to cash in soon. So in junior college, these are guys who are tremendously focused on what, on what, what the task at hand is. Because, you know, it's a means to an end. And... The coach, you know, they don't need you. They got like 20 dudes on the team who everybody's pretty much the same. So basically, you either do the right thing or you're not going to play. But we're going to get rid of you. So as far as the trash talking goes, I don't hear very much of that. Hmm. Um, there's probably more trash talking that goes on in the uh, the. Uh, world of travel baseball than any point else. oh yeah what's uh yeah. i guess for you as an umpire because obviously so one of the things that happened to me in the uh in the men's league i played in this this pitcher that threw he threw submarine style so he's throwing it for one i haven't seen a live pitch in you know five years Two, now I'm dealing with someone throwing submarines, so I'm already just completely screwed at this plate appearance. Right. You know, my entire team, when I got back to the dugout, was, of course, making fun of me because of how uncomfortable I was up there. Well, well I mean, they're good teammates. They have to, be, they have to make fun of you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I took it in stride and everything, but what was funny was the umpire, he throws a pitch, and it was about – it was a little outside – and I was already struggling at the plate, and I just kind of looked. I was like, man, that was a little questionable. You couldn't give me that one. And, like, I said it tongue-in-cheek, but he, of course, took it seriously. Like, one of these ultra-macho umpires, like, oh, I take yeah. my job yeah. too seriously. Dude, I shit you not, the next pitch was a foot outside. It fucking strike. rings me up. <laughs> you are going to hit it anyway, so. <laughs> Right. I was just like, all right, dude, fine, you got me, but... 
look, look, it, dep- it depends on, you know, what's the score of the game and how hot it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As, as, as the temperature, as it gets hotter, the strike cone gets bigger. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> if it's 100 degrees, you better be swinging the bat. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But, so. um, no, so I guess for you as an umpire, do you have any uh, – any other like really funny stories, or maybe toss someone that just was one of the. No, I, you know, I haven't tossed very many people. Um, I've, I've given a couple kids warnings. You know, what I'm saying, you, you know, just on language and stuff like that. But um, you know, I, I just kind of take it in stride. You know, um, uh, you know, a strike's a strike, a ball's a ball. You know, what I'm saying, you know, uh, I. For a while there, I was seeing. I was working almost seven days a week, so I was seeing a lot of pitches. So, I, I you know, I really had the strike zone toned in for a long time there. But, um, you know, I, I really wish I could give you a good one, uh, but offhand, I really can't. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun with a uh, with a lot of kids in like uh, like a you know, twelve year old, thirteen year old, fourteen year old travel baseball. You know, when I when I see these guys, you know. Uh, probably the funniest thing, um, probably one of the funniest things I've ever, you know, I ring this kid up on a strike three, right? Actually, I think I, I rang your nephew up on a strike three, too. But that, that we won't talk about that now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, um, but, um, so this kid's going to, going to the dugout, and this kid's mom is all over him, and, and she's screaming at him. You know, those are fifty dollar bat gloves. It's a five hundred dollar bat. Oh I paid five thousand dollars for hitting lessons, and you're gonna stand up there and take pictures. <laughs> oh my god! So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, fifty five hundred five thousand. You got fifty dollar bat gloves. You got five hundred dollar bat. You spend mama spent five hundred dollars, five whatever on hitting lessons. Let's get some cuts in. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's not be taking balls that are borderline. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Jesus! She was hot too. Well, let's bring that conversation into the equation now. The parents, I mean, because one of the things that would drive me nuts if I was an official in any capacity is sports parents. Because as it is now, I can't deal with that. You just have to understand that you know, and of course, you know, we grew up with my dad. Who, my God, you know, he was as competitive as anybody. Oh yeah, yeah, and um. You, know, you just have to understand that, that that those people are so competitive, and uh, that you know, to them, they can only see right now. You know what's going on right now, and uh, you know, I, I, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, I really haven't gotten like threatened or anything like that. I, I think maybe my size helps out a little bit, you know, but um, you know. Umpiring and refereeing today in the uh, in the new age of ESPN and, and stuff like that has gotten tougher. You know, uh, you know the states had to crack down on some parents. Uh, you know, actually, I, I did have one guy who's going to follow me to the car, and you know, I, I kind of ran and he said something. I said, "Well, I said, are you following me out to like buy me a hot dog or something?" You know, what I'm saying, like, what are you doing? He kind of realized that you know he was just being goofy and you know just went went on his way. But um, you know, winning is very important in this society today. You know, especially you know the parents spend a lot of money, they invest a lot of time, and uh, they if you feel like they've screwed over their baby, you're going to see the devil come out of them. <laughs> so and that's just the way it is, you know. So, 
But, um, you know, you try to stay consistent. You try to make the right call every time. You try to hustle and be in position. And if you do that, you know, if the people see that you're hustling, that you, uh, you have a knowledge of the game and stuff like that, um, you know, most of the time they're fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, hey, this is Louisiana, man. You know, sports is very important. Without uh, a doubt. Yeah, I mean, anybody who, who, who says it's not uh, just doesn't understand the culture here uh, of winning and uh, competition and, and things like that. So, uh, and then, you know, it was one of the things that I've always enjoyed. Uh, so, I think that's one of the things that, that keeps me going. I, I think this is my 30th year of, of coaching, uh, and I still enjoy it as much today as I did on the first day. Dude, that's awesome. I mean, essentially, if you got a coach saying that 30 years down the road, something's got to be going right just because yeah. th- there's so many trials and tribulations that come with it. Like I said, I have I have friends who are in, in coaching, and, dude, there's so many ups and downs, and, you know, you have to go through so many beatings to, to get to that 30 years. So the right. fact you're still going, standing strong and loving it, that's, that's freaking awesome. All right, well, look, let's talk about the most important thing, okay? I've been looking forward to the day I saw it on the schedule. Nickel State versus LSU in Death Valley. Dude, you know what I'm yes. saying? Like, dude, I, I'm like, hey, look, I think I think I missed you at this one, but I was like, I was like so pumped up when we played Tulane. I think we had just beaten Kansas. Okay, and I go down there and I do the whole tailgate thing, and I'm with Pat. Pat and Chris, and I'm talking trash. You know, and I, I'm really expecting us. And there are people, there are like thousands of Colonel fans there. There, there were more Nichols fans, way more Nichols fans than Tulane fans. Maybe it was because it was just Nichols, you know. And, you know, Tulane pulls out a Texas Tech transfer who we can't tackle. You know? Yeah. And we couldn't block him either. You know, so disappointing. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to us playing, uh, playing LSU. You know, I don't know exactly how many people the Tigers have coming back because it seems like every one of them got drafted. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I you know I was really hoping to uh, to be there in Death Valley to watch the Colonel, especially you know you know if Lindsey plays quarterback and the Bussy kids the running back and uh, you know uh, I think we could keep it competitive for a while. You know, obviously LSU has. Some of the best, but LSU, LSU's recruiting is is you know really stepped up in the past five or ten years. Uh, but I, I was really looking forward to that, you know, the, the tailgating, the Tiger Stadium experience. Hell yeah, man! And you know that's that's going to be the interesting thing. I mean, LSU had fourteen or fifteen players drafted, I think, this year. Um, obviously, well, somebody, told me, somebody told me the entire offense got drafted. Pretty or much. Drafted. I mean, with the exception, the entire offense got signed. With the exception of players like Jamar Chase, I'm almost positive, yeah. So, I mean, they lost a lot of pieces, and that's what's going to be interesting because I know it's LSU and, you know, Nichols backs against the wall, but let's look at this. If Nichols doesn't miss a beat and Lindsey Scott comes in and he's everything, if not more than Chase 4K was, that's a real dangerous 
team to play against because this is the same team that took Texas A&M to the wire. This is the same team that took Georgia to the wire. They've competed with SEC schools in the last couple of years. So if they go in there and punch LSU in the mouth, dude, I will never let any of my Tiger friends hear the end of it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my god! Look, I may go like put a sign on Max Bolton's grave. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm telling you, I, I may go put a sign on Max Bolton's grave if we beat the Tigers. And then look, I tell you what else I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, the Southeastern comes to Nichols this year. You know, I don't know if you were at that game last year, but man, they, they couldn't have fit. They couldn't have fit five more people in. Uh, in Southeastern State. I heard, man. I mean, it was packed because, I mean, that one was for the for conference title, basically. Right. Um, which, I mean, that's going to be another interesting game. That's another great rivalry that's been restored once they rebooted that program. I don't know if I don't know if you were at Nickel at the Nichols game um, in twenty. This would have been twenty ten, I believe. It right. was the first year I was working for Nichols, and. Dude, there was the biggest brawl on the field uh, between the two of them. Like yeah. Southeastern destroyed uh, some of the stuff in the baseball locker room because that was wow. the visiting locker room at the time. Dude, that was absolute madness. And I'm up in the I'm up in the video booth and I'm like, yeah, I'm filming all this. And I go back to the uh, to the field house after the game, and of course everyone was like, dude, did you get that? Did you get that? And I was like, well, yeah. Lo and behold, though, I was supposed to get that. That was part of my job, and I didn't know that. So, thankfully, I did. <laughs> well, look, two things I'm really looking forward to. I'm really, you know, I've been working at the lineman camp at Nichols for, yeah. since 1988. I think that's going to be a stretch at the best. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the lineman camp comes in the third week of June, and then the Mannings come in the fourth week of June. But I think that's a stretch at best. Yeah, that's gotta that's gotta be tough, especially if, not just for everyone that participates, but especially Nichols because those are two big, not only brand awareness but money makers for Nichols as well. So hopefully, and, 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 then, and then they got the uh, they got the Huddle Up Club, yeah, um, the five uh, k um, pasta live cook off, which which I've done the past couple of years uh, with. Uh, with uh, Evan Veron's dad, Doodle, and uh, my friend John White, who played quarterback at Riverside, and Davey Claymore, who was the head coach at head baseball coach at Lutcher. Um, you know, we haven't won, but we've you know we've had a really good time, and uh, I think Nichols does a really good job with that little five k deal and the cookoff, and I think I think that's August twenty second. I think. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that. You know, at least we get a chance to do that kind of stuff this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully, I mean, there's uh, essentially there's no timeline on it now, but of course I keep saying hopefully sooner rather than later because, I mean, you said it earlier in the podcast, we're really missing sports right now, and that's apparent, so hopefully we can get well, back know, to I mean, it. You know, uh, I mean, so, uh, I mean, we're supposed we're supposed to be in spring football right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball is supposed to be in sulfur, deciding the state championship, and we're supposed to have uh, you know graduations going on. Um, and then you know obviously you know travel baseball you know should be in full swing now all across the country. So you know those are just experiences that uh, 
you know, some kids aren't going to get back, you know. Uh, so for that, you know, you know, we got a lot of prayers for those people, especially those people who are suffering, you know, that depend on those jobs uh, for that. Uh, you know, it's it set me back financially uh, without being able to umpire. You know, I have some other things going on that have kind of helped me out. But, uh, you know, there are some people who really rely on the that, you know, that money to uh, to live. Absolutely. And it's tough, dude. It's really tough for those people. I yeah. really pray hard for those people that somehow we can we can figure this out. Well, aside from the financial burden, you know, before we wrap up here, last question I'll get with you, but um, what's what's been some of the impact on on your athletes, and what have you done to just kind of help those guys emotionally? Because, like you said, they're losing a year of eligibility essentially. Well, you know, our football players have done a phenomenal job, and, and we're lucky on this. You know that uh, you know we have a guy who writes the workouts, so uh, you know. A lot of our players have their own gym at home, or they were able to build their gym with, you know, they kind of have like a modified squad rack or some kind of bench, or, you know, they do cleans or they have dumbbells, or they just do bodyweight workouts. So our guys, you know, especially the guys who train with us in powerlifting, you know, have lifted. So these are guys who have been in serious competitive lifting for three and four years. So, you know, they know what to do. But, um, you know, I, th- I think it's just tough for them to be out of routine. You know, these are guys who, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, so, they're juniors in high school, so they're, they're, they're used to um, school practice, school practice, school practice. I mean, that, that's been my entire life since, you know, 1974 or five. you know what I'm saying? You go to school, you go to practice. You go to school, you go to practice. Uh so these guys are just out of their routine, uh, and I, you know, for some of them it's been good because you know they're living their best life. You know, I, guys send me pictures of them catching big fish and boating and playing golf and stuff like that. So, in some aspects, for them to, I guess, kind of step away from the high pressure deal, because you know, at, at St. Paul's, school is um, school is high level. That we have pride. Maybe other than Jesuit, we play. We probably have more guys make thirty on the ACT than anybody in the state. Uh, so for some of these guys to step back from the high level academics, even though we, we, we're doing a phenomenal job of keeping the online program going, uh, which I, well, our principal, kind of named Trevor Watkins, and our assistant principal Joe Dickens, and the guys guys have done a phenomenal job setting up this online education program where these guys aren't missing a beat. Uh, you know, you know, we have teachers doing Zoom classes. And, and uh, Mike, it's, it's much tougher to teach through these circumstances than it is actually in the classroom. Oh, without uh, a doubt. I got, I got a, uh, you know, I was speaking with one of my old college professors about that recently uh, with it being Teacher Appreciation Week. I did this, I did a column just kind of talking about some of the teachers that have had an impact on my life. And one of them is one of my old Mako professors. And that's what she was saying. She was like, Mike, like, this is a pain. I can't like, I need to be in the four walls of a classroom to teach. Like doing this virtually is just not happening. No. And look, I took, uh, I took some like, um, um, correspondence courses before. And it's much more difficult to learn that way than it is actually in front of the teacher. And, you know, there are some classes, 
you know, where like math and chemistry, where you got to go through the whole I you I do you do we do. You know, that's how kids learn. Without do, a doubt, we do. do. Um, you know, in my class, you know, in U.S. history, you can learn by reading, you can learn by watching movies, things like that. But in uh, you know, the world of academia, you know, you gotta it, it's it's I I do you do we do. Um, and I, I think a lot of kids are, are probably struggling, especially kids in the lower grades. I think it's very difficult for them to learn that kind of stuff without the teacher and the other kids walking through it together. Um, and, you know, you know Mike, Mike, I tell you another thing, which I think a lot of the kids are really miss, just the socialization. You know, kids go to school, they're with their friends, they play with their friends, all that. You know, you know a lot of kids, you know, they don't leave the house anymore, you know. Uh, they're saying, you know, you got to wear a mask and all this. So, you know, I know I miss it. You Dude. Know, I, you, know, you miss the socialization, especially in the sports. You miss the socialization. Sports. Being out there with other like-minded people in the competition, you know. Uh, I'm kind of seeing, you know, I tell you what, one of the uh, – uh, last year I did a game between uh, John Curtis and uh, Dallas Al. Dallas Al ended up winning the football game. I mean, the baseball game, but man, Jeff Curtis, just, I'm talking about uh, just a tremendous baseball coach, a uh, high uh, man of God, uh, and I was almost honored to be on the field with him, you know I mean? They, they won the state championship the year before, I believe. Uh, the Guggenheim kid was behind the plate, you know, the kid was going to West Point. So, you know, just being around guys like that, you know, this year I got to uh, umpire baseball game. Probably one of the biggest games. I was behind the plate. Biggest game on the North Shore. Lakeshore versus North Shore. Both good teams. The Westcott kid for Lakeshore was on the mound. And he was just mowing them down. I'm talking about mowing them down. I, I'm not exactly sure what, uh, what, what he's doing if he's playing football or baseball. But, man, that's a guy, Mike. Look out for him in years to come. Christian Westcott. And then, then one more thing before we finish. You know, I could, we, we had uh, uh, an all-star game this year. And uh, it was a tangible parish, St. Tammany, Washington Parish, all-star game. And I, I could, you know, I had my guys from St. Paul's. Well, I tell you what, Mike, you talk about a good deal. You know, just a bunch of guys. Uh, you know, T.J. Uh, Finley was supposed to be our quarterback. He didn't play. And then Edger and Cooper, the guy at A&M, didn't play. So it just was a bunch of guys who basically it was one more time. You know what I'm saying? Go out and practice one more time. And, uh, the center force was from Ponchatoula, and uh, you know, uh, you know, one a couple kids from St. Paul's, and you know, it was just a good deal. You know, I really enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to us doing that All Star game again. That that's the thing I really like too. Seems like there are more and more All Star games that are popping up, just giving guys one more one more opportunity to play. Hell yeah, man! And you know, you talk about missing a lot of these things and sports and stuff like that. Like for me as an extrovert, I mean, dude, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't expect you to know this, but you know, every Monday, that's that's basketball for me. You know, I still play in an adult league for that. Sundays, I play flag football with my buddies. We play an hour and a half, and then we sit and drink beer after. That's what we do. So, you know, dude, like it's not being able to get outside for someone like me is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Okay. Well, just just being around, just being around your friends and stuff like that, and that that's one of the things that I'm really hoping 
that you know they figure out how we're going to get past all this and just not get back to normal because I, I don't know if we'll ever be back to normal for sure. You know, just some way where uh, that we can just get back to society as as we know it. Without a doubt, man. Without a Chris, doubt. Look, dude, just you know, hey, look, I really appreciate you having me on it. I look forward to getting with you, you know, having some jambalaya and cheering on the Colonels, you know? Hell yeah, man. I'm always down to cheer on the Colonels. But with that being said, Mike, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Again, this is my cousin, Mike Stance. Uh, So he uh, he currently is working with St. Paul over on the North Shore, doing great things for the athletic department there. And uh, as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.